Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to another all-new edition of Geek to Me Radio. Today we are joined by Joe Ward, the director of the City of St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau, talking about their huge Christmas Traditions Festival. Later on, we'll be joined by Rob Levi from the Celestial Intervention Agency, talking about the last season of the 13th Doctor's Doctor Who. Stand by. We're talking to And if you're driving around the greater St. Louis area hearing this on 105.3 FM or 1380 AM, thank you very much for finding us there. If you're streaming this out there in the world, listening to us online, thank you very much for finding us and subscribing there. And of course, if you're hearing this after the fact in the podcast form on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, or Podomatic, we greatly appreciate your listening to us there each and every week. This entire show is brought to you by the City of St. Charles, the Greater Convention and Visitors Bureau for St. Charles. And right now, they're hip deep in their Christmas Traditions Festival. It's been going on for a while now. We've talked about it the past several weeks. And here to tell us more about it is the director of said CVB, Joe Ward. How are you, sir? And yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I know it's a busy time uh, for St. Charles. I've been blown away by all the people who come literally from all over the world just for this festival. It's incredible. Yeah, it's really an amazing festival. And if there's anyone out there that still have, somehow hasn't come to Christmas traditions in St. Charles, they really need to make it a priority. I mean, it's just been fun. I mean, it's so fun. There's just so much culture, texture of the community. A celebration of the season it's just it's tremendous and uh, to see the, the kids with those smiles on their faces and uh, discovering the magic of christmas is just wonderful and this is its 44th year uh going on so it's the I, the longest running christmas festival and i think it is the biggest in the country uh, based on the numbers i've looked at yeah as, uh, as far as we can tell you're exactly right and definitely it's in its 44th year and i think one of the things that makes it so special is 44 years ago, they didn't start with the idea that 44 years later, there'd be a festival. It was really just a group of people, a community that got together and walked down Main Street with, and, uh, with a, uh, you know, singing Christmas carols and hanging out and um, with a Yule log and just kind of gathering for the season. And so it slowly and, well, I would say slowly developed for a while, and now it just seems to be growing by leaps and bounds. The, the, the thousands of people on Main Street and then surrounding St. Charles has just been just been terrific. So, uh, yeah, we're we're looking forward to, you know, we're halfway, through, a little more than halfway through this year's festival, one more weekend to go after this, and uh, but there's still lots of time to get out there and enjoy it. 
So I've taken time and I've I've spoken with several of the of the shopkeepers and vendors and everything like that. I know one particular shopkeeper I spoke with at the uh, the French Flea. She said the amount uh, that she's seen this year in in business is actually twice as much as last year. I know, like you just said, the festival continues to grow. Uh, when you guys take your numbers, I've seen census people out there. What do you guys base a lot of your figures? Is is it off of the uh, amount of revenue that the shops report? Is it because uh, you obviously there's no turnstile at the edge of the street as people can go through to tick off how many people are there. So how how do you what's the conglomerate like? Where do you draw all the information from to come up with the numbers to cover this thing? Yeah, well, great question. Um, yeah, unfortunately, you don't have a ticket gate around St. Charles. I guess that's the good part and the bad part that we don't. Um, but the when it comes to getting the numbers, really, the, the information that we get from people is directly, we sit with them and ask them, you know, what they spent for those that want to participate. We we don't need all the gory details, but, you know, hotel, restaurant, um, you know, any retail purchases and just sort of a, you know, general assessment of what they've, what they've purchased. So we do not add any multipliers into that. Um, and uh, we just take people, you know, from what they're telling us. And when you do, you know, 1,000 or 2,000 surveys over a festival, you have a really nice sample that you can draw conclusions from. And we also find out in there, you know, where they're coming from. And we've adjusted over the years, um, you know, our marketing and advertising campaign based on where we're hearing folks are coming from. And, uh, you know, and so that's been great. And we are finding more and more people coming from out of town, which is, when I when I mean out of town, I mean, three to 500 miles away that they've made this a priority. And uh, the, the thing that I think is just a tr- part of the tr- reason why we're on the trajectory we are is 98% of the people who come say that they're going to come back. And uh, obviously it doesn't take all of them to come back and tell a few, few friends for this to grow. It just, or it does just take that. And so it's just been, been amazing to see. And, and, you know, people like yourself are delivering a great experience to where, um, somehow, though, you've got two out of 100 that don't want to come back. So there's obviously 2% out there that don't. <laughs> but no, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, you just find very few people now who just kind of happen upon the festival. There's definitely become something people are planning on and inviting others and friends to, to a must-see thing that's become a tradition for families. And it's amazing, too, because like you said, there, there are people, uh, you know, from all over. I was at an event uh, last night, and I mentioned it to somebody and they said, really? I, I don't think I've ever been there. And they, they live in Chesterfield. They've never been. So it's like, you need to come over to St. Charles. But then we've got people uh, I know that I interacted with a few weeks ago who came all the way from France for the festival. It's, it's, it's crazy how people in Chesterfield may not have seen it, but people are coming from Europe to attend this event. Well, I think it's, I mean, throughout the year, you know, through my job, I happen to do a lot of presentations to you know let's say the lions club or kiwanis and things like that and every time i'm at those i always ask about christmas traditions and how many people have come and it surprises me honestly in the room that maybe i get 25 to 30 percent who've said they've come and it's just and it to me it's one of the signs of where people don't like don't typically think that hey uh, my hometown where i live is a place where has a world-class event they just don't think it's kind of human nature in some ways to people who just maybe don't get out as much as others um so it's amazing to see when we like you know yesterday i'm down there and i'm talking to people from you know oregon and we've got wisconsin and you know of course illinois indiana new york you know and then and then you go to the lions club and you've got you know 25 percent of them so there's definitely still room to grow for people to come out we still have room for people we love when people come and celebrate and uh, you know we just hope continues to grow and we'll keep you know delivering that experience to match 
And like you said, they're coming from Wisconsin. So again, one of the Scandinavian countries they're coming from to visit the festival. It's amazing. <laughs> I kid, of course. <laughs> it's a little cold in Wisconsin, but it's not that bad. Bad joke. Sorry. Max, we'll edit that part out. We'll go back. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. But uh, but yeah, it is such an amazing thing. And I know you've got children um, and you've been doing the festival. This is your fifth year doing it? Sixth year? Yeah, believe it or not, this is my fifth Christmas tradition. So, um, you know, the first year I came, it was I kept hearing about it. And then when you come, so I tried to stay out of its way, let's say. And I think for the most part, I still try to do that. But, you know, (laughs) one of the things that, you know, we've added since I've been here is a few more caroling groups, which I just felt like it was such a great festival. But maybe if we were missing anything was maybe a little bit more sounds of the season. So we've added a few of those over the years and uh and as you alluded to with my children my boys are six and nine and so you know this being my fourth full year and fifth christmas traditions you know they were my youngest was two when i came here and so as a father just to have you know this experience too to to have my kids around there where they literally think like you know 10 santas are my my best friends and, <laughs> and that's just you know it's just wonderful it, um you know, it's just been great on that aspect. And it, it even amazes me every year, the day or two that I get down there with my kids, how even I can kind of forget for a minute that, yes, I'm responsible overall for the festival and just see the kids enjoy it and they buy into it all. And, and if kids who know as much about this festival as mine can still enjoy it, those that just show up and walk right into a, a you know, Christmas wonderland are absolutely amazed time and time again. And that's what the the kids really, I mean, the parents come down and I think a lot of the adults enjoy it, but the, the kids really just eat it up and they, they get the cards from the collectibles, from the, the characters who are out there with the cards. But it's, uh, for those of you listening, if you maybe haven't been before, uh, maybe if you're, think, if you're thinking about coming out, discover stcharles.com is the website we always tell you about each week and you go into the events tab and there it is Christmas traditions you can click right there and see pictures uh, that people send in because there's always I I go on Instagram and I'll look for the hashtag St. Charles or I'll look for hashtag Christmas traditions and the people posting these incredible pictures and you you even put some of those up on the city of St. Charles website from Instagram with little connections to who posted them yeah, we have a great uh, thing on our website, which is right on the front page, and it, it searches actually for certain hashtags related to St. Charles. Obviously, this time of year, Christmas traditions is, is the most popular one. And then you can just see some of the best photos that have been out there being taken. It's pretty much, uh, you know, it searches Instagram, Twitter, uh, not as much Facebook. So you just see a lot of great Instagram perspective of St. Charles. And for any time of year, you'll also, if you go into some of the, the deeper galleries, you'll just see some a really great perspective of what guests think about St. Charles and that. And, you know, there's, it's always interesting for me to look because again, it's kind of like that local that doesn't necessarily know, you know, or doesn't necessarily think it's maybe the best place to, to hang out and have their own vacation. When even I go in there and look and say, wow, I never would have thought that would be something that would appeal to a visitor. But meanwhile, there's 30 pictures that have been taken, you know, of that particular area. So it's, it's kind of a nice way to learn but I think uh, Christmas traditions is, is sort of a common denominator. I don't know anybody that goes down there and, and can't find um, some way just to, you know, to let the troubles of the day go and buy into the whole concept of being with all these characters from all over the country, from stories, you know, throughout literally the Christmas traditions we've all grown up with and have a laugh, have a smile. And then even some people, when they hear that particular Christmas carol, have a tear, too. 
And I should mention, too, because we're, we're talking about Christmas traditions, but as I uh, promote St. Charles every week, and I'm so proud to do so, there's always something going on, even when it's not the Christmas festival. I mean, you've got the Legends and Lanterns, there's the Heritage Day festivals, there's all sorts of things, and it's such a fantastic place to do it. It's just so picturesque and historic and scenic that it's like there's just something for everybody. So you, as the, uh, the I guess, main guy, You've got to be so proud to have such a fantastic place to host all of these events. Well, I'm really fortunate and really, you know, just really glad that I get the opportunity to do this as part of my career. You know, it's a, uh, there's definitely, you know, there's responsibility that comes with it. So let's just say it's, it's not all fun, not, you know, all, all the time, but it, it, it is, our business is to create fun and experiences. So we're, we can be the ones that take it seriously behind the scenes that people don't need to see how sausage is made, right? <laughs> they need to have a good time. But <clears throat> part of St. Charles, you know, the biggest thing is the city was, you know, in, well, founded in 1769. And so the streets and the buildings are from that era. And so it's not a facade that we build and stages that we build for, for these events. You know, our backdrop is, you know, this historic community and really what, the closest thing I've ever seen in the United States to a European village right right here in, you know, right here in the middle of Missouri in the Midwest. And, um, you know, it's just a great place to be part of. And again, feel very fortunate to have the opportunity to help tell the stories of St. Charles. And just to remind everyone listening, so uh, this weekend, uh, you've got today and then Krampus Knocked Wednesday night. We've got stuff going on next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So get down. There's photos with Santa at the train depot. There's uh, the Jack Frost ice block party. There's carolers all up and down the streets. Interact with the carolers. Great places to eat. Uh, if you've not been, this is your chance. Come out this last weekend and really make some great Christmas memories. Joe Ward, Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau, thank you so much for being on air again. We always appreciate having you on. Well, thank you, James, and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everybody listening, too. Thank you very much. Thank you. There he goes. We'll tell you more about St. Charles, of course, as we do every week as this show progresses. We are going to take our first break. We'll come right back with Rob Levy talking all about the brand new 13th Doctor and her first season right after this. Stand by. Hi, this is Alex Kingston. Welcome back. No spoilers, but you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. And we are back. Now we're getting into uh, the 13th Doctor. We've wrapped her first series on BBC and BBC America starring Jodie Whittaker. Uh, first female Doctor we've had in the Doctor's 55-plus year run. Right now, we are joined by a frequent guest of the show, Rob Levy, with the St. Louis Celestial Intervention Agency, or St. Louis CIA. You can find them on Facebook. Just look up Doctor Who St. Louis, and they'll pop right up. Uh, you can like their page there, and they've always got events going on. Rob, thanks very much for being on air. Hey, no problem. How are you? Good, good. So anytime we talk Doctor Who, I always like to have you on, because I always like to have people who are smarter and more knowledgeable to me about the topic. <laughs> so this is perfect. Um, yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So we've got... Uh, the final season, or I should say the final episode of 13th Doctor's first season, uh, it was very interesting. We didn't have any of the classic Doctor Who, Daleks, Cybermen, Zygons, Slitheen, anything. Uh, they went with brand new characters. And I think overall, with maybe uh, just a misstep here or there in a couple episodes, I really enjoyed it. Uh, what were your thoughts on her first season? 
You know, here's, here's the thing. And I've been lucky enough that um, sort of I'm blogging the season as it goes along for uh, Anglotopia.net. Uh, so that's kind of helped me sort of stay in, stay in perspective with it. But um, here, here's the thing. I think Jody is great, and I really love the companions. I, and I really like the dynamic that they had together. Um, having said that, though, it's supposed to kind of be a, a series where the doctor's the doctor is here and the companions are kind of around him or her as, as the role. Mm-hmm. They sort of changed this whole dynamic of it. And there is this whole, this sort of thing where like, if there's things you're not happy with, you just sort of say, hold on. There's, there's a couple of reasons why. So I'm kind of going back and forth with a lot. So you're going to kind of have to be my, uh, my, my psych, a psychologist couch here. Sure, um, sure. <laughs> so while I don't necessarily, I mean, I loved her and I loved the companions. I thought some of the stories were not particularly great. Um, a lot of the villains sort of got away without a revolution, and there's kind of some clunky things going on with some of the stories. Right. But having said that, I have to also remind myself, you know, it's a whole new writing team that have not written for the show before. So that's kind of cool. So as much as I love the fact we have all these new voices bringing whole new takes on Doctor Who, I have to stop before I criticize it necessarily and say, wait, this is all completely new. You kind of have to let it unfold. So I kind of waited to judge everything as a full season. So uh, I guess I'll start with the writing. I loved the, the writing for sort of that, that core chunk of stories we got with Rosa and then um, uh, Demons of Punjab and then I really liked those three just in terms of how they were started, written, and executed social commentary aside or any of that, just in terms of storytelling and exploring new themes and doing some different things with the show. I really like that. I thought the one with the spiders was just really weak. That was and, yeah, odd. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. The, um, the take, you know, it takes you away. What's interesting about it takes you away, James, is I don't know how it was for you, but I watched it a couple times to kind of let it sink in. And it did something interesting. I mean, regardless of the fact that the, the alien they meet sort of in that void is very much a Star Trek Voyager-looking kind of alien, um, it really was a really good like sci-fi fantasy departure for Doctor Who, and that it sort of like it was really, really hardcore sci-fi, which was kind of cool and refreshing. So while I'm kind of griping about some of the stories and and that. I have to say they're taking some chances and doing some new and fresh things. I'm wondering if they put some of the stories in different orders in, in order, if I would have liked it, like if they would have moved That's witch hunters, yeah. if they would have moved witch hunters earlier in the season and maybe demon monument, ba- uh, ghost monument back in the season, I may have liked witch monster uh, or the, the, the witch hunter more, uh, witch hunters more. Um, that's interesting because the demon monument that's where you know we didn't she didn't have her TARDIS but my wife and I were talking about it we didn't see as much of the TARDIS I kind of noticed that we didn't see as much of the TARDIS inside or out in her season as we have in previous seasons with previous doctors and I think some of that I was going to get to that in a second I think some of that too is um, they are trying very hard to make Doctor Who uh, an international show so having said that, one, they're filming it on, it's much more filmic, so it looks amazing. 
I mean, no matter, even if they close up on like a piece of paper, it's, it's a damn good looking piece of paper because the way it's being filmed, right? Right. Um, so I think the fact that they've got that sort of look to it that's really great, they're tending to do more. Filming, you know, in South Africa and different locales as well lends itself to a better look of how stylistically it looks. And I think if you film inside the TARDIS, it's a little more confining and the dark, the lighting is darker hmm. and it's a little, it, it creates a, di- a different atmosphere. Now, since they're trying to go for a world sort of market, they want to cover as much sort of locales around the planet as they can kind of. Right. So I think, you know, if you're going to the fifties or if you're going to the 16th century or if you're going, you know, different places, not having it done in the TARDIS is kind of a good thing. And it does kind of fall in line with their, sort of mantra of like everything's different this year i mean literally from start to finish from the opening of opening credits of the girl the woman who fell to earth all the way through the end there's nothing really easy to latch on with that's familiar about the entire season you don't see that first episode wait we have a whole new doctor and she's a woman and then we've got a new sonic screwdriver we've got new companions we don't have a tardis i don't know who the alien is we have new incidental music everything about it it's very so the minute you step into the new season, sort of literally as a fan, you're stepping on something that's completely unfamiliar terrain. And I think your sort of your sort of brain functions weird. You know, because you've had fifty years of, oh, this is kind of what a regeneration story is like, or this is what's in a Doctor Who story, but everything is literally different. So it's a little tricky to criticize. I do think the stories could have been different um, in, in many ways, and I think that some of them could have been better. But I have to say, we got what we got that was really great was really great. I mean, Rosa was just taken as a piece of television itself was really great. And as an exploration of the role of the Doctor and the Companions, it was really great. The same with, you know, Demons in the Punjab. It doesn't have a happy ending. It's completely different. Kerblam was just a lot of fun. It felt like that, a Sylvester McCoy yes, episode yes, to me. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it felt like a McCoy episode to me. And it's really funny. There's a, a friend of mine named Rob Alsop who designed the uh the robots for that story and it just looks great the whole thing looks great uh with that story and you've got lee mack now getting back to the other thing that's interesting is you've got a season that's really really sort of even though there's not an overall arc it's got a lot of sort of like stuff going on that's pretty heavy drama so you've got the drama of punjab you've got the drama of uh ghost monument you've got this whole thing that Graham's going through, his relationship with Ryan, you've got all these different things going on, right? But still, there are moments of this season, more so than probably a lot of the seasons in the, in the new series, that are funny. It's a lot lighter at times, too. It did have its light moments, absolutely, and that's one of the things I uh, I kind of enjoyed. It. She almost, at, at certain points, I felt she was channeling a little bit uh, uh, David Tennant, Tenth Doctor. But yeah. uh, let's let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll hit a commercial break. We'll come right back talking with Rob Levy of the St. Louis Celestial Intervention Agency. More about the Thirteenth Doctor's first season right after this. So stand by. Hello. My name is Sylvester McCoy. I want you to listen to Geek to Me Radio. Otherwise, if you don't, I'll cry. We are back. Breaking down Jodie Whittaker's first season as the 13th Doctor with 
St. Louis Celestial Intervention Agency, Rob Levy, talking all about what we thought, how the episodes were, uh, how they did. And one of the things uh, we mentioned right before we went to break is uh, we kind of felt that the episodes did have a lighter tone to them. There were a couple that had darker moments, uh, but I really felt like uh, she was channeling Tenet at certain points. And I love the moment where she opened up the box in the episode Kerblam and had uh, sent a fez to herself uh, from the 11th Doctor's run. Uh, they had those really kind of touchstone moments that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I think there's a lot of the early part of the season. It looks like she's almost channeling Matt Smith all the time, which I thought was interesting. And then later she kind of settles into Tenet, and then you get little bits of the other Doctors. I mean, she's doing what every person in the world does, where she tries to bring in little bits of the other actors who played it into the role. And, you know, the, the interesting thing that she's had, uh, which is the other reason why it's really hard to sort of hammer away on a Doctor in their first season is a lot of the stories that she had for this season were originally, some of them were drafts for different doctors. Some of them were drafts for a doctor that was male and not female. So there's a lot of little nuances and things they've had to work with. And, and I think now that we have the break, you know, we'll do more. I mean, there's a couple things they need to fix. Uh, some of the pacing, some of the editing, the sort of, um, the storytelling things I don't necessarily like is a lot of it wraps up really quick without a lot of um, finishing, clean, like clean finishes. They don't, they're not writing endings very well. Um, and I think sometimes I'm wondering if that's because they've got three companions. So there's a, uh, there's a lot of things they sort of need to sort of tighten up and tinker with. I by no means think it's a failure and no means think that it's, you know, awful. I thought it was actually, you know, fairly good. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible, but it was an enjoyable, fun uh, season to watch. And if you're a fan of Doctor Who, it was kind of different. You know, you're like, what is this? You know, and it's, it has nothing to do with casting a, a you know different gender character in the lead role. It's just more of like, where are the Daleks? Where are all the things I'm familiar with? And I think that's more of the issue with it is sort of the getting used to it. Um, I do also, James, want to say that it was really nice to have different incidental music for the, for the series. Yeah. I thought the scoring was really like one of the things we got with the last couple seasons from Matt Smith on was the scoring was just really heavy handed. And sometimes it's sort of like it was like watching this big thunderous production, you know, as uh, the story climaxed and things. And this is sort of more nuanced and more varied, and I think that it really let a lot of the storytelling come through a little bit. I mean, I think that's part of the reason Rosa worked and Demons of the Punch-Out worked is the scoring, and I think Witchfinders had some really great scoring in it as well, and I think that really does actually help a lot. One of the things uh, um, that I, the, the thing with Rosa is the episode was so beautifully done, and at the end, 